welcome. My name is Gina Timberman, and you are listening to Timber People, a podcast about people who, like timber, are strong, build and create, who gather us together like fuel that feeds fire. People who support structures of our community that uplift and protect. Hello, welcome to Timber People. I'm really happy to welcome today my friend, Oklahoma County Commissioner from District 2, Brian Mon. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. What a longtime friend you've been and a great friend to this community. So it's a privilege of all the people you could choose to be on here with your vast network. I'm very humbled that you've picked me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know that there will be a great deal of interest from our community. You have been a part of this community in so many wonderful ways, and I want to thank you for serving our community the way that you do. I want to get into that a little bit, but also want to congratulate you on what 15 years we were talking about serving in office hard to believe it's gone by in a blink of an eye but yep that's uh in fact i just made the decision to decide to run again which will put me in one of the longest serving ever should i be selected by voters again next year but i've been as you know working on this jail project here in our community for a long time and we're so close i think in the next term i could actually see it through and have it completed and opened important big things take a long time often. And I want to thank you for the inspiration that you've always had for serving our community. And it's really like the stars aligned. One, you're a magnificent people person, and you also have a history in economic development, um, public information, strategy, politics. Those were really great breadcrumbs to serving in office today and what you're doing. And What is your first memory of thinking about serving in public office? Uh, I was involved in a straw poll election in junior high, and I had read something about where whatever way the student straw polls tend to go, that's the way the nation tended to reflect because they were the uh, really most likely embodiment of what their parents were thinking. And I remember thinking that a candidate that was losing in uh, my junior high at Jefferson Middle School in South Oklahoma City. And so I didn't stop working on it until it was for a presidential election, until we turned it around and I switched votes and stuff because I thought I had an impact on the national election based on this article I read, which was a sort of an elementary way of thinking. But that's the first thing I got involved in. And then I ran for student council president and did some stuff in high school and kind of got the bug, I guess, if you will, because I realized if you were in a position of authority, whether it be student council or in my neighborhood association, I also served and I was able to affect change and do things, which has always been a great motivator for me because I've been one that, you know, you find things and you say, well, that really ought to be different. Well, get up and do something about it and help make it different. Right. If not you, then who? You know, I mm-hmm. say that. Exactly. I say that a lot. And I really believe that we all have the capacity individually and collectively to initiate and follow through with change. And I know that I want to get into some of the projects that you've had that have made significant change in your district. But for the listeners, can you describe your district and where that, you know, that district to what that embodies? It's easily described as the southern third of Oklahoma County, but it's in the shape of a horseshoe or a U, if you will. And so it goes up far on the west and east sides of the county and then all virtually of south Oklahoma City, for the most part south of I-40, is 
predominantly in my district. There's a few exceptions. You know, people think a drunk drew those lines, but <laughs> it's because we follow municipal boundaries right. or other balance of road miles and other considerations. But that's the general speaking. I have the communities of War Acres, Bethany, Northwest Oklahoma City, the Lake Hefner area, all of Nichols Hills, and then uh, the Lake Overholster area that's in Oklahoma County. Then, like I said, the airport, South Oklahoma City, over to Nawala that's in Oklahoma County, and then up and grab Choctaw and Hera, and then north of that, which is unincorporated. So it's a very diverse district. It has a lot of different socioeconomic backgrounds, a lot of different interests. In fact, you have really dense populated city urban areas, and you have very rural areas and everything in between. Absolutely. Um, diversity, really. I mean, the relationships that you have, um, it's complex and it's it's really cool, but it's complex. You have relationships with individuals. I know you have strong relationships with nonprofits um, as well as businesses. Can you talk a little bit about those relationships and and that reciprocity that you have with them really to uh, listen um, to learn what the concerns and considerations of these communities, what they are, and then um, your commitment to serving. You've been a true servant leader, and um, I know so many people, including myself, really appreciate that. Can you talk a little bit about the different relationships and how that all comes to play in the work that you do? Well, you're very kind. I realized very early on about government's inadequacy. <laughs> we could never do all the things that are kind of thrust upon us in terms of our own individual resources. So it became immediately evident that we would be best successful if we had public-private partnerships, mm -hmm. if I forged relationships with people in the community, especially nonprofits that are already deployed in those efforts, and, and lend whatever I could from my office as a you know, kind of a tailwind support to empower them to do bigger and better than they're already doing. I've also tried very hard when I find out somebody's doing something that's kind of parallel to what another organization's doing to at least bring them together and introduce them. I'm often shocked. Never assume that they already know about somebody else out there doing virtually or maybe in some cases exactly the same thing as others. And then if they can work together or if I can be the coalition partner that bridges the two, those are the things that we've gotten really done. And um, I think you knew my employee Safari briefly uh, who yes. was killed tragically by yes. a drug addict. And she had an idea to empower students to go do some volunteer community service. And we had already created a shine program, which we could get into later, but her idea was students for shine. So any student before they graduated high school or college could go out and actually perform any kind of community service that they wanted to. And then we would give them a distinguished graduate cord that they could have at commencement, a certificate for their portfolio. And I, I thought it would never work. I thought we would need a coordinator. We would have to spoon feed them the projects. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking I was a pretty good kid, but I didn't go give up my spring break to go give back. And she said, no, if we incentivize them, they'll do it. They will find a way. And she was right. She had a vision for it. And it is probably exceeded what her vision was. Sadly, she yeah, only got to right. see the program for about 10 months before she was killed. However, it wound up exceeding what the court mandated people sentenced to community service did. Students would show up out there, roll up their sleeves and say, let me mm -hmm. at grody, gnarly projects that oftentimes when we take <laughs> offenders with our 
uh, work crews out there, they would say, you expect me to do this? You're crazy. And here's young people over there doing it. And I like to say that because I think oftentimes people today say, ah, kids today or the young people, there's no hope. And I think that it's often interesting that more often than not, the highest number of hours are generated from some of the lower socioeconomic neighborhoods that uh, these students come from. So uh, they are finding ways within their own path to give back. And it's pretty incredible the type of things they've taken on. And while we've had 100 hours as the minimum requirement, it's very frequent that they do two to 500 hours. And we have had one do 4,000. Oh, wow, man. So they've moved the needle. I give them the credit. But it was just finding a little bit of stuff like that that we could get behind and similar with nonprofit organizations. Oh, wow. You know, there's, I really appreciate um, that vision and coming to fruition and that cord that there's an aspect of identity Mm -hmm. of identifying with projects, with groups. Um, and that's about building, um, those relationships again, but that's something to be proud of. You know, we can take pride in projects like that. Um, yeah, I'll tell you the one that's my personal favorite story. We had the daily living center, which is an adult daycare facility. There are three branches in Oklahoma County come to me and say, Hey, we've kind of seen this shine thing. And I know there's students, but these are adults, but can we get in on this? And I'm thinking in my mind, cause my grandpa was a resident there. Mm-hmm. when I was taking care of him and he was pretty physically restricted at his advanced age. And I'm thinking, what could they do? Cause I'm thinking in terms of the things that we've been doing. Right. And the director there, she said, you know, you don't worry about what we go do. Just promise me you'll recognize them if they give back their time, but maybe we should do like increments of 25, 50, 75 hours. Cause they are going to be either mentally or physically challenged in most cases. And so I said, well, sure, that's the easy part is recognizing people. The hard part's, you know, coming up with what to do. And so they came up with the idea to, you know, normally at cemeteries after Memorial Day, we lay out the flowers, Mm -hmm. but then they have to mow. So the crews come in there and they take the flowers off the graves after a week or two. And I asked a couple of the cemetery owners, what do they do? And they said, well, you know, we just usually throw them away. It's not proper to resell them or do anything like that. I said, but they could still probably, in a lot of cases, be pretty and nice. And he said, oh, yeah, but it's just not our place to resell them. So he posted a sign that said any left after a certain day would going to be donated. And he and his lawn crews gathered them up. They dropped them off the Daily Living Center. These participants, that's something they could do inside right. and with limited capacity, still take flowers, dust them off, repurpose them, put them in new bouquets, make them nice again. And then their commitment was to make sure that every single veteran's grave had a bouquet of flowers for the next Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. And they could not, in many cases, get down on their knees and place them in a vase or on the headstones or whatever. So they partnered with the students for Shine mm-hmm. and said, kind of like a baton, you know, if we just right. hand this off. So they would show up in their wheelchairs and walkers and, and canes and things that they use. And then some of them could get down, but a lot of them couldn't. And then these students take it. And so it became a multi-generational project mm-hmm. where they did And I didn't even know this, but, you know, we have a veteran cemetery on 36th and Martin Luther King. I knew that. But what I didn't know was that many, many of the graves there are marked Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers. Mm. And a lot of them are from the Civil War. On the Union side, they were the people who helped save the country. And they're unknown right here in Oklahoma City. 
And so they had the thoughtfulness to make sure that every one of those unknown soldiers was the first ones to get the nicest flowers, and then they disseminated the rest from there. Yeah, that's a part of our community continuum that we are really connected in so many suspecting and unsuspecting ways. And I I really love that, you know, it's the behind the scenes of contributing to something, giving back, and knowing that um, someone else was connected to that experience, I think is really important. I want to talk about Shine before I do, but I know a lot happens behind the scenes. And I want to say, you know, what is now the first Americans Museum Um, you know, thinking about relationships and you are always working behind the scenes to really be a positive contributor uh, on behalf of the county to identify whether it was um, dirt or possibly some of the landscaping needs or working with individuals through the SHINE program. And so I just want to say thank you for thinking that way that connects us all and enables everyone, no matter what skill set, what level of skill set, to really be a, a positive contributor. So your contribution is, uh, it will always be a fond memory for me. Thank you. Uh, well, to me, you are the embodiment of that fabulous facility. What a visionary you were. And um, many, many years of dedicated service, and it's terrific. I I think of uh, many times every time I'm in there for any number of events now about the kind of early day push and how hard it was to convince people about that being a good, noble project to get behind when it took their money and their time. And I appreciate you seeing it through. I'm, um, Thank you. I'm, I'm largely feel the same way about the jail. There's so many people who have worked behind the scenes and and we're about to solve, as a community, for the first time, the 30-year blight, which has been a black eye on this community, the county jail, that was poorly built and opened, ridiculously opened, in 1991 It with so many subpar uh, aspects. It's just really heartbreaking. But to fix it has been, of course, frustrating for the voters. They thought they had fixed it then. And getting that turnaround took a lot of people in the community to do that. And the seven citizens who serve at their own expense and their own time on the jail trust can never be thanked enough, in my opinion. Servant warriors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we were talking about, for important projects, it can take a long time. And I know that there has been conflict about the jail, but to know that you know, sometimes conflict can strengthen relationships, conflict working through and identifying new solutions. Um, you know, it is my hope that um, that everyone will see that light at the end of the tunnel. And we were talking about, um, you know, unfinished projects, loose ends. That's a major loose end that I know under your leadership and continued commitment can get us to a really um, a stronger point than we've been in the past. Tom Cole told me once early in my career, it takes about 10 years to get anything major done in government. It just tends to be, you know, for one, it's not that the slow wheels of government move that slow, but you have to get everybody on board with the same idea, at least in concept. And then the devil in the details, as they say, about how you're going to practically implement it. And I have come to fully appreciate what Congressman Cole said. Right. I didn't quite understand it at the time, but I do now. And so there's a number of things. I was the first commissioner reelected in my district in 20 years. So every four years, they would trade out. So with five different administrations, you start completely over. You know, you have to reassess priorities and figure out. 
And a lot is lost in transition. It doesn't matter how great the transition is. And then in many of those cases, the transition was non-existent in terms of it being mm-hmm. cooperative. And so I watch that and observe it in other government uh, elected official offices and see how it in fact impacts us. And uh, I'm thankful that the voters have seen to uh, feel like I'm the right person for the job at this time. And we've been able to get a number of these big things off, you know, and I'm only one cog in the wheel, but there's been a lot of people working on it for a long time, but I've been privileged to be able to be along for the ride. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, you've received a lot of attention for innovative projects, and we've been talking about SHINE a little bit. Can you talk about what that acronym really means? Yeah, it was important to me that it have a good name when we came up with the concept of this program. So the background on it is instead of being sentenced to jail for low-rate offenses, that you would instead be sentenced to the county road crews and go out and work. Uh, cleaning up trash, removing graffiti, set up and tear down for public events on public spaces, and occasionally assisting nonprofits. And um, that would be the way you pay your remittance back to society for whatever offense you have been convicted of in the courts. And so I wanted to stand for something, not just a county commissioner's community service program. So we called it SHINE, which would be I wanted people to think of it like they think of 911. If you got a situation like this, we call Shine, and it stands for Start Helping Impacted Neighborhoods Everywhere, because that's truly what it does. It goes out and where there's maybe something that's been what I'd call a problem that's been decades in the making, or as simple as somebody has dumped a bunch of stuff out there just yesterday. And we don't worry about whose fault it is, whose responsibility it is. We just go out there and try to get it fixed so that the rest of the community doesn't have to suffer from it. And uh, we've been able to work with a number of different projects to just really go in there and holistically try to clean things and turn it around. And then in turn, find local stakeholders who will keep it from going back to that. Right, right. You know, there are many parallels to Native cultural communal forms of justice so I really think that that is important of, um, you know, giving back that contribution and then that name shine mm-hmm. because, um, you know, we've all been a part of something that we weren't proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know I have. And then to be a part of something that is really a solution to community needs and can really um, be reconnecting and um, empowering that shine. So I really love that. And the program has, you know, received awards and um, congratulations. It's really great. I'm particularly proud of the one we got from Harvard. They said that as near as they could find, it was the only one like it in the United States. So they named it one of their Bright Idea Award recipients. So it was a big, big compliment. And um, it was based off of a high school assistant principal that just passed away, ironically, so I feel like I should say this. And he didn't believe in throwing people away. Mm-hmm. And so his option was either you get held back a year or you'd have to go after school and do some community service. So if you want to be a class clown and act up when there's a teacher in the classroom and a security officer down the hall and a principal in the main office, then he didn't trust that you would act right at home. So, But he just didn't want kids just to be sent away. And he said, you know, they made a mistake. They were being goofballs, but 
they can kind of turn back around. So we had the best looking flower beds at U.S. Grant High School when I was there. <laughs> and they were assigned to assist the custodial staff and the coaches out there on the fields. They had to pick up the bubble gum and candy bar wrappers underneath the bleaches and stuff. And we had a pristine environment. And then they turned into little campus guards after they were through because right. they saw a peer throwing a wrapper down there like, hey, don't do that. I got to pick it up right. after school today. And it just took pride in everything we did. And, uh, you know, I tried to honor him at the kickoff for that, and he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't pose for any pictures. He was such a humble man. George Chapman was his name. And all the quote he would give the press is, I just did the right thing. And I like to think that's kind of just what all this is. It doesn't matter whose fault it was or whatever. Let's just do the right thing. Let's get it cleaned up so that we can move on. And then this lady named Susan Bergen, who doesn't even live in Oklahoma County, she's a philanthropist, and she said, you know, if you will go find public land with a water source, I'll pay for the rich topsoil, the plants and seeds, and a gardener to tell you what to do. And what happened is we've created all these community gardens. And we thought we could only handle so many, but we had so many people from each of these communities where, again, a lot of times they're in food deserts or economically repressed areas, taking ownership of it because it's more than what they could do individually. But collaboratively, they all chipped in and did their part, water, pull weeds. Then they were the beneficiaries of the okra, the tomatoes, the squash, all these different things we were growing in large masses, I might add. These are huge community gardens in many cases. And it expanded our bandwidth capability where we were able to do more. And so now we have a model to where we actually try to get ownership in a community. And there's direct correlation to community gardens reducing crime Mm -hmm. and promoting neighborhood cooperation and spirit. So I'm particularly proud of that. But that, again, all goes to Susan Bergen. I don't really have a... All these ideas have mostly found me, and I just got right. to be the lucky person to facilitate most of it. Absolutely. I really appreciate Servant Warriors, mm-hmm. um, like her, her and so many others. And the ripple effects, like you said, are you know, of benefits of safety, health, and wellness. You know, if a place is beautiful, we, we want to get out and we want to walk and we want to gather together. And so I really, um, you know, I think this, I really want this podcast to be about that, talking about timber people, people who build and create and protect and like fuel that feeds fire to gather and to warm our Mm -hmm. community and connect us all. Um, I want to say that anyone who knows you knows that you are a music man (laughs) and you are an action oriented person um, with projects and I want to talk about a really awesome project that you're involved with that really takes those two um, aspects of your personality of, you know, project and action and talking about music and sharing that joy of music to the community. Oh, I could spend the whole podcast talking about this, (laughs) but thanks for the segue. I, um, I do this a large part as part of a county commissioner and people kind of, I think, find that curious, but there's an economic impact. There's a tourism impact, and we have some responsibilities under the state constitution and state statute for some of that too. It's just not often explored or bantied about like the county jail and other things that you see is more often the news about. And I became aware of how many people from Oklahoma in particular are music stars not just, we know of course the big ones, Garth and Reba, Blake Shelton, all that, but that were so many of them were females 
and I couldn't, when I really got into it and started figuring out how many major female music stars we produced, all genres from Oklahoma, and the, in particular, the era that they did it, is not from what you might thought would have happened from Chicago or Boston or New York. It was right here in Oklahoma. Right. And they reared back with their high heels and kicked in the door on the <laughs> industry and have really been pioneers in the truest sense. And I thought that their stories weren't really being captured so that's sort of what started it, and I wanted to work with the History Center on profiling and chronicling all of their life stories so that there was a permanent archive there at the Oklahoma History Center. And then uh, Channel 9, Griffin Communications, came along and said, well, if you'll film them, we'll be happy to broadcast them. And so it's called Shine on Oklahoma Music. We've just started with our first episode, but there are uh, 18 others that are in the can that are going to start dropping. And so they're not the biggest names, but they had very distinguished careers. And oftentimes I tell a star when I get a chance to visit with them that, you know, if you'd been from anywhere else, we'd have probably named the town Civic Center after you. But you unfortunately are a victim of the mega success that has been bred from our state. And uh, they sort of kind of get forgotten about here because we have so many colossal talents from here. And uh, they have really neat individual stories, and they're very well regarded in most other parts of the industry. And uh, Vince Gill says you can't swing a dead cat in Nashville without right. hitting three okies, right. you know. And that's from the <laughs> engineers to the songwriters to the producers. It's just really from every aspect of it. So uh, there, it's probably a podcast that could run as long as somebody wants to give it airtime because I don't think we're ever going to stop making stars from Oklahoma. But even if you just went with all the established ones that we've had, it would be enough for several, several seasons. Absolutely. And I love learning about new artists um, and then following them on their journey as they grow and, and keeping up with um, their experience um, in the music industry. And, and you're right. We have so much um, to be proud of here. You know, in I'm working with the lieutenant governor. I'm really hoping to establish an Oklahoma music trail where each of these hometowns of these various stars would celebrate them and then also kind of maybe like a Hollywood Walk of Fame type right, project here right. where you would have a big unveiling of their star or whatever right. here and a big day for them. So I think we're getting close to to accomplishing that. Down at Kendall's Restaurant, which is in Noble, Oklahoma, there is a restaurant by a female business owner named Kim Klein, and she made it kind of like a hard rock cafe type thing. Mm -hmm. And I worked with several of the women stars. We have 25 of our Oklahoma women women music stars who have donated outfits, guitars, or handwritten lyrics, some of their right. awards. So you can go down there and check out their fabulous chicken fried steak and cinnamon rolls and also <laughs> all the really cool eclectic stuff. And I like to point out that in every time I've reached out, they're always excited about coming back and doing something with Oklahoma. They have so much pride about coming from our state and um, they've never charged me. They haven't said, you know, well, there's going to be all these contracts right. and conditions about if I do that. They are so giving, which I think really showcases what terrific ambassadors for our state and how much we have benefited from them being on stages literally all over the world. That's really great. And I love that you think outside the box about connecting people, their stories with places, and you understand economic development and the impact that it has um, on our tourism industry and, um, and, and vice versa, you know, that it's, it's really important. And 
there are some really great ways of how we connect our experiences as Oklahomans to um, the world. And now we have so many different ways to do that with social media, podcasts, and with um, programs like yours that that connect everyone. And I want to thank you for that. I also want to thank you uh again, for your support of the First Americans Museum, but congratulate you. I know that you were inducted into the Oklahoma City Community College Hall of Fame. Oh, that's been a while ago. And, um, <laughs> yeah. A while ago, and you're still serving on the um, Memorial um, Foundation, is that correct? The Oklahoma City yeah. National Memorial Foundation? Yeah, that's a, that's a very big honor, and I've just been elected as the president of the Oklahoma City County Historical Society, so we're working on a number of projects, too, to to celebrate all there's so many things that have happened here in Oklahoma County. Uh, tying it into music, though, I think the first thing's going to be this August, we're going to have a historical marker placed in Capitol Hill in South mm-hmm. Oklahoma City, close to the Yale Theater, uh, for... Oklahoma Music Stars' national careers were launched by being discovered there at a little bitty radio station back in the early 50s. And I think that those uh, three of the four are still living, and they're going to come back. They're in their 80s, but they're going to come back. And we're going to have a big tribute show and an unveiling of the historical marker. So looking to always do things like that, too. Well, I've known you a long time, and um, thank you for everything you've done for our community, for me as a friend. And, um, you know, I just, I wish you all the best. I know, knowing you, that so much of what you're doing, you would do personally, but you do it for our community professionally, serving in office. And so um, thank you. And um, just really appreciate you being on the Timber People podcast. Oklahoma County Commissioner Brian Mon. thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yakoki, thank you for joining us. Timber People is brought to you by the Possibilities Podcast Platform.